Each Sunday, Unitarian Universalists gather in community in a variety of spaces, from beautiful old New England churches like this one to modern, modern worship spaces to rented halls. Whatever the venue, there are two things that will identify it as Unitarian Universalist, the chalice and the hymnal. The chalice is the symbol of our faith, developed during a time of struggle and standing as a beacon of hope for a small but powerful band of free thinkers. The hymnal is our heart, a collection of the words and music created by prophetic men and women that reach into our past and point us toward the future. Today we will light the chalice and we will sing the hymns and may the spirit of love, of life, and connection move among us. Our current hymnals, both the gray and the teal, were the first of our hymnals to incorporate African-American spirituals. Spirituals are songs of faith, of movement, and a veiled protest that came from an enslaved people who found hope in a promised land. We sing them with a deep understanding that while we can't know that depth of suffering and despair, we can sing in solidarity. When we sing in solidarity, we often express goals and dreams that are not our own. But we sing because we recognize that these dreams and goals are part of a distant land that we share. We sing with a deep faith that we can and we must move together toward that distant land. When a member of this congregation stands in this pulpit to light the social action community candle each week, they are, each in their own way, calling us to those shining goals, to a distant land we share the land of beloved community. In that spirit, let us sing Come and Go With Me to That Land. You won't need your hymnals for this one. We'll do a call and response, and I will light this social action community candle for hope. You all sound fabulous this morning. So you are, you are now qualified uh, to be part of a committee that is entrusted with the creation of a new hymnal. Imagine what that would be like, a hymnal that could faithfully reveal the diversity of thoughts and theologies while somehow holding in its pages the essence of who we are as a united movement, a hymnal that trusts the past but reveres the dawning future more. And then how about having to choose that one combination of text and music that will hold the vaunted position of Hymn number one in that hymnal. What message would you want to communicate with that choice? Would you find all this something of a daunting challenge to put together a Unitarian Universalist book of worship to gather and choose from all the possibilities a collection of music and words that comes as close as anything to our sacred text? I would. And yet over the last hundred years, there have been people who have gladly taken up that challenge. And we have in front of us today the fruits of their labor. Hymns of the Spirit, published in 1937. Hymns for the Celebration of Life, published in 1964, just three years after the merger of the Unitarians and the Universalists. Our current gray hymnal, Singing the Living Tradition, which was published in 1993. And the Teal Book, published in 2005, Singing the Journey. There's a lot of history in these pages, both 
in and in the making of these pages. The editors of each volume worked hard to communicate their sense of where the movement was at that particular moment and where it was going. Today, we are singing that journey together and sharing some of that history. Sometimes it's impossible to provide the whole story, but it can be more telling and sometimes more fun to look at history through footnotes, and so that's what we're about today. How many of you know the name Marion Franklin Ham? I see one hand. Not surprising. And yet Marion Ham found himself in the middle of two of the most important changes in our movement during the first half of the 20th century, the great shift towards humanism and the merger of Unitarians and Universalists into one denomination. In 1897, at the age of 30, Ham was called out of the pews of his Unitarian congregation in Chattanooga, Tennessee, to become their minister. Though he was a published poet, his formal education had ended at the age of 17, but he had been an active member and a regular reader on Sunday mornings in All Souls in Chattanooga. He was ordained a year later, and the American Unitarian Association provided him in their infinite wisdom with the books and a course of study on how to be a minister. <laughs> Literally learning on the job, not something I would uh, want to try. After serving in Chattanooga and Dallas, he came north to Reading, Massachusetts, and served there for 25 years. Now, if we were to label Ham today, we might call him a mystical Christian UU. His poet and his lyrically spoke to the kind of upward pull of spiritual gravitation that the great Unitarian minister and hymnodist John Haynes Holmes called it, that direct sense of the creative power greater than ourselves. Ham saw himself as a disciple of Theodore Parker, an heir to that Unitarianism. And in 1916, the American Unitarian Association published Marion Franklin Ham's essay, The Mission of Unitarianism. In this short pamphlet, Ham echoes Parker in laying out his theistic theology quite clearly, speaking for the need for Unitarianism to continue the reformation of Christianity by simplifying and purifying it. At the time that Marion Ham was writing that essay, however, significant changes were happening in the West. As John Dietrich and Curtis Reese, both humanists, spoke from their respective pulpits in Spokane and Des Moines. Curtis Reese's 1920 address at Harvard sparked what was then a decade-long humanist-theist debate about the nature of liberal religion and the future of our movement. Ham, unwilling to, to let the humanists assume a religious and intellectual leadership without a challenge, was a consistent voice on the side of theism challenging the humanist's right to pose as the vanguard of religion. By the late 20s, the debate had calmed enough so that each group had a representative on the Unitarian Commission on Hymns and Services, assigned to pre prepare a revised version of an old hymnal. And notable among the committee members and editors was the Reverend Edward Perry Daniels, the sitting minister here at First Parish in Concord. Also there was the minister, Reverend Curtis Reese, that humanist, there to ensure the future theological leanings of our movement. 
and those leanings were certainly visible in Hymns of the Spirit when it was published in 1937, as the commission included hymns with a strong ethical note that sought to emphasize what was then a newer social application of religion and texts that gave expression to a more modern conception of the human soul and its relation to the universe. But the new hymnal also showed that the movement was still well-rooted in the past. Praise to the living God, which we sang as our opening this morning, held the prominent position of hymn number one in this hymnal. The lines in that hymnal reading, Praise to the living God, all praised be his name. Our friend Marion Franklin Ham is well represented in Hymns of the Spirit, having authored nine hymns that were included there. But his foray into hymn writing began a lot earlier in 1911 when he responded to a call from the Dr. Henry Wilder Foote, the secretary of the newly formed Hymn Book Commission, for material that might be incorporated into a new hymnal. And while his first attempts were unsuccessful, Ham kept working at adapting his own poetic style to the peculiarities of hymn writing and ultimately became respected by Foote as a gifted lyricist who also responded well to uh, requests for special occasions. One such request came from the president of the AUA, Frederick May Elliott, who was involved in long-range merger discussions with the Universalist Church of America. May was looking for a hymn that might stir the passions of those involved in the conversations towards a union of the denominations. In 1933, Marion Franklin Ham responded, almost 20 years before the merger took place, with a hymn as Tranquil Streams, a hymn that was included in the 1937 hymnal and every hymnal thereafter, and a hymn we often sing today. The fact that the 1937 Hymns of the Spirit was a collaboration between Unitarians and Universalists doesn't necessarily speak to the consistent tone of those merger discussions. In a letter, AUA President Elliott wrote to Ham thanking him again for his verses, and he admitted that he couldn't get past the first line of the hymn without smiling at the less-than-tranquil nature of those negotiations. Ham responded with equal humor, that though it wasn't his intent, he was happy to have provided a moment of levity for the president amidst all the hard work. Let us rise and sing together hymn number 145 in the Gray Hymnal as Tranquil Streams, written by Marion Franklin Ham. If hymns of the spirit tended to hold us slightly closer to our liberal Christian roots, the 1964 hymns for the celebration of life showed that our faith had moved considerably beyond those roots to something broader and more theologically inclusive. Published just three years after the merger, the hope was to express religion as a present reality and worship as the celebration of life. In trying to present the wide gamut of life's experiences, the editors searched for fresh material, repeatedly repeatedly leading them to the rich repertory of folk music and hymnody from America and beyond. They also sought new texts and modern poetry that could be attached to familiar hymn tunes. The humanism so strongly represented is a naturalistic humanism, embodied by writers like Kenneth Patton and Robert Terry Weston. Patton's contributions include 13 hymns and over 20 responsive readings. 
And I remember in my youth feeling profoundly moved by Robert Terry Weston's Out of the Stars. It begins, Out of the stars in their flight, out of the dust of eternity, here we have come. Stardust and sunlight mingling through time and through space. And the reading closes, This is the wonder of time. This is the marvel of space. Out of the stars swung the earth. Life upon earth rose to love. This is the marvel of man rising to see and to know. Out of your heart, cry wonder. Sing that we live. The first and preeminent hymn in the 1964 hymnal, originally penned by Unitarian minister William Channing Gannett in 1886, was recast for this hymnal by none other than Curtis Reese. Please rise and sing together. Hymn number 40 in our gray hymnal, The Morning Hangs a Signal. The Hymn Book Resources Commission that was charged with recreating our 1993 hymnal, Singing the Living Tradition, understood this from the outset of their five-year task. They were creating a worship resource that would usher our movement into the new millennium. This worship book would represent the last words of one era and the first words of the next. The commission was also keenly aware of the need to hold the center of a tradition that had begun the 20th century as two separate but related branches of liberal Christianity and would enter the 21st century a united movement that embraced a wide range of theological perspectives, including Christianity, the Jewish tradition, humanism, feminism, mysticism, natural theism, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam. The seven principles, and at the time five sources of Unitarian Universalism, which had been adopted only 10 years earlier, provided the framework for organizing and accessing this vast range of spiritual imagery and language. The hymnal was meant to provide hymns and readings that communicated the full diversity of the heritage and the future of this living tradition, our roots and our wings. This metaphor, roots hold me close, wings set me free, has become a part of our meditation and prayer through our weekly ritual of singing Caroline, Carolyn McDade's Spirit of Life. The song was first introduced in the 1993 hymnal and is possibly the most widely sung piece in the whole book. It may be the only song that most UUs can sing by heart. Hymn number one in Singing the Living Tradition also appeared in the 1964 hymnal, but under the title, Prayer for This House. The poem is by Louis Untermeyer, a 20th century poet from New York City whose turbulent personal and professional life included a stint as a panelist on the 1950s quiz show, What's My Line? <laughs> that ended in 1951 when he was blacklisted by the television industry after being named spuriously as a communist sympathizer by the House Un-American Activities Committee. May nothing evil cross this door as we know it may be heard as a blessing for a domestic abode, for a house of worship, or for the house for hope that is our UU tradition, a place of peace, of shelter, 
warmth, and loving community. Hymn number one expresses this hymnal's aspirations to hold the variety and breadth of Unitarian Universalism in one worshiping community, where every casual corner turns into a shrine. Let these two hymns provide the framework for our time of meditation and prayer today. In contrast to the five years allowed to the commission that brought us Singing the Living Tradition in 1993, the new hymns task force of 2003 had a mere 18 months to bring Singing to Journey, Singing the Journey to birth in 2005. As the new century dawned, and within the context of the language of reverence being preached by then-President Bill Sinkford, there was a need for a new resource that would, in Reverend Sinkford's words, help our very heady faith find its loving heart. Singing the Journey was meant to bring us more songs we could sing in community, more songs we could sing by heart, more songs that would inspire us in our work for social justice, new songs that would reflect our theological diversity and the variety of cultural expressions that embraced it. Singing the Journey was also meant to be a guide for worship leaders who were being called upon to lead congregations and choirs into contemporary musical styles that were out of the comfort zone of most classically trained musicians and their congregations. Piano accompaniments were created that would guide the fingers of an accomplished classical pianist into the rhythmic grooves of gospel and jazz. Guitar chords were provided for every song. Some of the more complex arrangements aren't really meant to be sung from the hymn book at all. They're meant to be taught orally. There are just too many repeat signs for the average singer to follow. (laughs) I was a participant in the meeting of the task force when Singing the Journey was chosen as the title. We had a number of variants on this title, but our consensus was that this book was meant to accompany us on the continuing journey of Unitarian Universalism, to be a musical guide, companion, and compass on our path forward into the future. In 2001, the annual UU Musicians Network Conference was held at The Mountain, a rustic conference center in the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina. Unfortunately, those mountains were in a cloud for most of the week we were there together. It was rainy, gray, and oppressively humid. But our spirits were buoyed by our music-making together and by our fellowship. One morning towards the end of the conference, the Reverend Jason Shelton introduced a new hymn that he had written right there at the mountain. Jason is an ordained UU minister, a music director, and a composer based in Nashville, Tennessee. His facility for expressing UU theology in contemporary hymns might be compared to Marion Franklin Ham's work a century ago. I clearly remember the sensation of being lifted by the energy of the piano and the drums and the voices of 200 UU musicians as we sang, Morning Has Come for the very first time. And as we sang, I kid you not, the sun came out. Morning Has Come is the first hymn, number 1,000, in Singing the Journey. I invite you to be lifted by its energy and its hope. 
The song is an appropriate opening for this slim volume which calls us forward in community to recognize the light of peace, hope, and love that shines in our faces and brings us faith to guide us in the journey onward.